when you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, you go, hey, if my life, my entire life on this planet is just a mist and a vapor, then man, this moment is nothing compared to the glory to come. It's nothing. The worst that can happen is you die. We had an interesting week, Lisa and I. Uh, we had a number of individuals kind of feel stirred in their hearts to come to the office on Thursday <laughs> to pray for us and to just encourage us. And it was life-giving and it was awesome. But keep in mind it's Thursday. And during that prayer, do you know how sometimes prayer is just these moments of kind of man speaking to God? But then sometimes prayer are these moments when God speaks through people in a prophetic way. By the way, when I say man, I'm talking mankind. I'm just, I'm old school like that, so just get over it. I'm sorry. But in that moment, keep in mind Thursday, end of the week, our offices are closed on Friday. In that moment, this prophetic kind of word came through prayer. And it spoke to a concept that in that moment, it just struck me, we need to dig into this concept, this theological idea. Because without it, we don't see a path forward. And we need to see a path forward. Keep in mind, this is on Thursday. And so I had to change what I was going to preach on today. God is good. The Lord, bring the prophetic word on Monday. <laughs> But during that time of prayer, God spoke something into my heart, and it spoke through community, and it was so powerful. When Lisa and I first came to Evangel Church, we really felt laid on our hearts to lay theological foundations, just firm theological foundations on which we can build community of faith. And one of those theological foundations is one that is often, or at least has traditionally been, especially in the Pentecostal movement, a little weak and anemic. And that is the church's theology around suffering. Typically in the Pentecostal movements, we treat suffering like some kind of Bad thing that if you're suffering, you're lacking faith, right? Who's ever heard that before? If there's something going wrong in your life, there's something wrong with you. There must be sin there. But the Bible says that it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. We live in a broken world. 
This world has moments of pain, relational pain, circumstantial pain, physical pain, spiritual pain. And so in the past, oftentimes, especially in the Pentecostal movements, we would say, how are you doing? And what would be the response? Oh, I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed. I'm doing great. God is good. All the time, all the time. God is good. And meanwhile, you're walking to the church like this. No, it's all good. Nothing to see here. And for whatever reason, we felt that it was some kind of a spiritual weakness to be in seasons of suffering and seasons of pain. And we wore it as a badge of honor to to just... And sometimes it was faith. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it was faith. It's all good. God is good. Sometimes those are statements of faith. But sometimes and oftentimes they become statements of pretense. And the church is a place that's meant to be for the broken. The broken hearted, the broken in body, the broken in spirit, the broken in mind and soul. And today I want to talk to you about a concept, a reality. That as Lisa and I have been kind of preaching and teaching over these last seven years. We recognize that perhaps this is a part of a theology of suffering. This is a concept and a component that we have kind of not stepped into as robustly as we should. Because this is the path forward. This is the strength. This is the place of faith. This is the light at the end of the tunnel that sees us through the valley of the shadow of death. The concept is joy. Joy. This grace and gift from God. Joy is the light at the end of the tunnel. Joy is the thing that Nehemiah says. The joy of the Lord is your... The joy of the Lord is your... Come on, do you believe that? So my hope is to step into this concept and reality of joy today. I hope that when we leave here, that we are strengthened and built up in the Spirit. So Lord, that's your job, not mine. Holy Spirit, that's your job, not mine. Would you convince us of truth today? Would you convince us that you have a grace of joy that strengthens us to see us through? Teach us, mold us, refine us today in Jesus' name. So let's start today with some definitions. Some definitions of joy. Because before we can kind of go on, we need to kind of understand what does the biblical text present to us as the concept or the idea of joy. Baker, Encyclopedia of the Bible, defines joy in this way. Positive human condition that can be either, and this is so key, friends, can be either feeling or action. 
can be either feeling or action. The Bible uses joy in both senses. Both feeling and action. There's often a misconception that we bring to the concept of joy. We, for whatever reason, we in the past, we have tried to kind of divorce the idea of happiness from joy. Who's ever kind of had that kind of idea? That happiness is somehow kind of, I don't know, like secular, carnal, flesh, and that joy was just something elevated, even though we couldn't like really define it. But it was different somehow, because happiness, happiness, it's not just, but do you know the biblical text does not divorce these concepts? Happiness, that feeling of happiness, those moments of of dopamine. Remember, God wired us. He created us. He gave us these reward systems. Who are we to call that evil or carnal or whatever? Now, they can be hijacked by sin and by all the different things, absolutely. But the biblical idea of joy does not divorce the idea of happiness that feeling of elation from the concept of joy. But it does give us another part of joy, which is an action. How many times in the Old Testament do we read the word rejoice? Rejoice in the Lord. What is this? This is the action of joy. This is the faith step of rejoicing in God, in the Lord. And we're going to kind of unpack that as we go here today. But we can't just treat happiness like it's a cheap imposter to joy. It's a part of it. God wants us to have joy. Yes, even that feeling of happiness. That's a part of the human way of life. In living, it's how he made us. It's how he designed us. So let's not divorce these things. Now, the writers of Scripture understood that happiness, that feeling of joy is powerful. But that it's not always present. It's not always present. Sometimes we just have to walk in the actions of joy before we know and experience the feelings of joy. We're going to unpack this. In fact, the nature of the feasts of the Old Testament contain within them the actions of joy. When you read the, the Old Testament feasts, we're all about, so often about rejoicing together corporately as Israel. It was the actions of joy. It was the reminders of His providence. His goodness, His supply, His provision, His kingship. And so we see these moments of joy, the action of joy, rejoicing together, built into the very fabric of the society that God established for Israel. Rejoice in the Lord is a very intentional return to eternal perspectives to relational proximity, and to the source of joy and strength himself. 
Mel Walker in an article he wrote in Christianity.com. He brings a very kind of real world definition to the concept of joy. And I kind of love what he says here. He says, biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. Because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. I want you to just take a moment with that. I want you to consider that. This means that no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God has the power to redeem it for your benefit and for your growth and for your strengthening. And in this concept, we can find joy, which leads to hope, which leads to perseverance and a continuing of the journey. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is our big thing today. I try to give you one thing to take home. This is it. It's a little complicated. It's a little convoluted, but it's the best I could come up with. Thursday, friends. Thursday. Joy is both a feeling and a choice. Not necessarily both, but always a grace. Joy is both a feeling and a choice, not necessarily both, but always a grace. I want to read something to you. You may or may not recognize it. I think when we get to the end of it, you may, you may catch on. You may catch on to what's going on here. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. That all men are created equal and independent. That from that equal creation, that they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Who's heard this before? Now, why do I bring this up? Well, part of the reason I bring it up is because I did go to the Canadian Charter to see if I could find something similar so I could kind of put this in a Canadian context. But let me tell you guys, the Canadian Charter, it's like the difference between reading the old King James and like the Amplified Version. It's like going from poetry, where they wax eloquent, to going to basically bylaw, byline, kind of bylaw language. It's not as sexy, let's just be honest. But I wanted to bring this to our attention because I think there's some concepts here that influence the way in which we live our lives. They kind of are cultural influences, if you will. What is one thing that you might change? If you would consider this document, this passage, this moment, what would you, what would you change about this? The pursuit of happiness. Interesting, because I had the same thought. The pursuit of happiness. This is such an interesting 
moment for us. Because we live in a moment where we see the outcomes of a cultural paradigm that has made the pursuit of happiness the main thing, the end game, the goal. Just do, be, whatever makes you happy. This is a very poor finish line. This is a very poor target to shoot for. Because as you know, happiness is so elusive. Too many people have bought into a false ideal that the pursuit of happiness is the purpose of living and life. Now here's the reality. The more we pursue happiness as the goal, the more elusive happiness becomes. It's the, the false summit problem. Let's go throw something on the screen here. This is the false summit problem. It's a perspective issue. Because this hiker is getting so excited. He's almost there, he's almost at the top. And then what happens? You get to the top, and all of a sudden your perspective shifts. And you realize that you're not at the top. But now you got to go down into another valley, and then up another mountain. And this is what the pursuit of happiness does for us. We pursue things. We pursue relationship. We pursue whatever is going to make us happy. But when we get to the summit, when we get to the top, when we achieve what we wanted to achieve, it leaves us so empty because we realize it was a false summit. And this is what the pursuit of happiness does to us. It will never be achieved. We'll never catch it. We're like the greyhound dogs at the racetrack chasing the rabbit. You're never going to get it. The biblical worldview says happiness and joy are a means to an end. They're a means to an end and not the end in and of themselves. So, so as we consider the concept of joy, let's consider what the purpose that it serves. It serves a purpose to something greater, something bigger. Something worth chasing. Something worth spending our lives on. It strengthens and motivates our continued pursuit of God. Our continued pursuit of knowing Him. And this distinction, it so matters here. When we make joy or the feeling of happiness the goal, we are too often tempted by the things of the flesh the imposters, the short-term moments that'll give us that nice little dopamine hit, that'll make us feel those butterflies, that'll get us excited. And so in those moments, we often trade the actions for joy for the short-term benefits 
of a feeling. And in the long term, we know sin leads to what? To death. It kills all joy. It kills all hope. It leaves us in states and moments paralyzed with fear. Joy is both a feeling and a choice, not necessarily both. You're not always going to feel joy, but you can always choose it. But it's always a grace. Now, before we go on, we have to clarify kind of a major aspect of biblical joy. The temptation might be that with kind of this understanding, we we might look to maybe some like modern day gurus. We all know the names. We We all know the people who would lead you in the idea of of positive thinking. Right? If joy is is an action, then maybe the action is just positive thinking. The power of positive thinking. Manifest your destiny. Draw up your vision board. Now, I got nothing against setting goals. I have nothing against being strategic. I have nothing against pursuing some ideals of what you'd like to pursue in life. But, but, hold them loosely. Hold them loosely because your life is not your own. And if you want to experience joy, joy is found in obedience. Joy is found in the pursuit of God first over your own pursuits. This is where you find joy, true joy, that gives hope and gives strength. But if our belief system says that joy is sourced in our discipline of positive thinking, then we've got it sorely wrong. Because this is where we need to understand that like faith, and even like our salvation, joy is a grace. The Bible speaks of joy as a grace extended to us. You do not source joy in yourself, in your own mindsets, in your own positive thinking, conjuring up enough positive energy. No, no. The biblical concept of joy speaks to the person of Jesus as a source of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. And so joy is a grace. It's a supernatural gift given to us by God. And not just to some of us. Even though when you look at the church, sometimes you go, yeah, some people got more than others. But that's a choice. That's a choice. That's a decision. Because we can pursue joy in our lives as we pursue the one who gives it. It's the Father's gift to you. It's sourced in the Spirit of God and, in the spe- and not in the Spirit of man. And this is why joy is always a grace. It's a grace. It's a gift. We can receive that gift. Sometimes the action of joy is simply going, 
Lord, I receive what I don't have. Give me joy. Give me joy. Lift up my spirit, because it's down right now. So let's get a little bit practical. How, how might we walk in the action that is joy? Well, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes in 5.16 of 1 Thessalonians, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. What's Paul trying to say here? Paul's saying, make rejoicing a part of your daily life. Rejoicing, the action of joy, is a spiritual discipline. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul also writes to the Philippian church. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Now some of you, some of you, as soon as I read that verse, you got a little tune going on in your head. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Now, I had to reach way back in my history for that one. It's funny, so, so often I'll, I'll hear people tell me, maybe when I was a little bit younger, they'd be like, man, these new songs are so repetitive. And I'll be like, ah, that, that one's pretty repetitive too. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul just brings such an emphasis to this concept, to this discipline, to this daily practice. And this is the action of joy. What are we rejoicing in? We're rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because of who he is and because of what he's done. What he's doing and what he will do. There's elements of faith to joy, to the actions of rejoicing. There's elements of faith here. There's a faith in rejoicing, even in the midst of pain. Maybe there's even more of a faith to rejoicing in the midst of pain. Seasons that are hard, seasons that hurt. Now we've talked a lot about the difficulties of life. You know, we've talked about how lamenting you're allowed to lament. You have permission. Not because I give you permission, but because there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. There's a third of the Psalms where there's Psalms of lament. God wants us to lament. God wants us to recognize the pain and call it out for what it is. He wants us to have places where we can vent our hearts to him. He's big enough to take it. 
But we can't remain in seasons of lament in perpetuity. If we get stuck in seasons of lament, that's the breeding ground for bitterness and cynicism. Those are the breeding grounds for things that capture our heart in a way that God never intended us to walk and live in. So there's got to be a path forward. And I will put it to you today that joy is the path forward. The actions of joy in the seasons of lament are the path forward to a healed heart. When we rejoice in the pain, we are reminded of his promises. And his promises, they turn our eyes to his presence. And when we acknowledge his presence, we begin to witness the power of God, his protection, his providence, and his power. And it's in those moments that we give him opportunity to begin to unlock the potential in our pain. Did you know there's potential in your pain? Come on, church, did you know that there's potential in your pain? Pain does not have to be the end of the story. That there's potential in the hard circumstances you find yourself in. Potential for growth. Potential to witness the power of God in and through your life. But it requires that we leave the valley of lamentation through the pathway of joy, which gives us hope and perseverance. And when we walk out these steps of faith, no matter the circumstance, there's potential for growth. Growth in you, growth in those around you, growth in community of faith, growth in your understanding and witness of God and His grace and His love and His mercy and His kindness. Every season of pain has potential. God can redeem your pain for his purposes. Remember that definition from Mel Walker? Biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances. This is your responsibility. This is the action of joy. With inner contentment and satisfaction. Because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. Every season of life has the potential for growth. So how do you realize that potential? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Joy is both a feeling and a choice. Not necessarily both, but always a grace. To close today, I want to zoom out. And when I say I want to zoom out, I want to zoom out infinitely. And I mean that with every intent of the word. I want to zoom out into eternity. Because that's the perspective 
that God has given us. If we believe what Scripture says about what's to come, we have an infinite, eternal perspective. And so we have to, in moments, especially in moments of pain and suffering in this broken world, we have to zoom out. We have to take a step back and consider in faith the infinite perspective. We may not be able to fully comprehend it or perceive it or even fully pursue it, but it is a perspective that God gives us. And this is the perspective that gives the believer the ability and the grace to choose joy, to choose the actions of joy. Because pain is just a reminder that we are waiting on a promise. Pain is a reminder that we're waiting on a promise. There's something more to come, and it's so much better. It's original intention. It's what God had intended from the beginning for mankind. That's yet to come. That's coming. That is your reality. For those of you in Christ Jesus, the moment you take your last breath in this world, you enter that reality. The moment Christ's return, we enter that reality. This is the perspective of the kingdom. This is the finish line. This is what is worth pursuing, not happiness. But that eternal presence and proximity to the presence of our Creator. That's what we're pursuing. That's the goal. That's the finish line. To compare eternity to this life is like kind of treating a drop of water the same as the ocean. And that's not even a good, that's not even a good comparison. Because the ocean itself is still finite. But it's been said that comparison is the thief of joy. Who's ever heard that? Comparison is the thief of joy. Not always. Not always. Sometimes comparison, particularly around eternal perspective, when you're in the thick of it, when things are not going your way, when everything's going sideways and you're feeling the pain of the human condition in our brokenness, Sometimes comparison can give you joy because you can consider that promised land that you're pursuing, that place that you are going. You can consider how very short this life is. The writers of the New Testament, they go out of their way to remind us how very short our life is. And so often we read this in a negative way. When I was younger, I read James 4.14 in such a negative light. I just saw it as such a negative statement. What does it say? Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Man, I always read that in such a negative light. And contextually, it is kind of being like a little bit of a, a moment of admonition. But, man, there's some hope here too. When you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, 
You go, hey, if my life, my entire life on this planet is just a mist and a vapor, then man, this moment is nothing compared to the glory to come. It's nothing. The worst that can happen is you die. Like, that's not even a joke. The worst that can happen is you die and then the resurrection. And so often in the past, we've had these moments and seasons, and I, I don't know what it is. Maybe we like it. I think maybe we do like it. As human beings, we, we do like, we do enjoy a good pity party. Right? Like, if we're being honest with ourselves, right? Like, we enjoy that. Man, and we really enjoy it when people come alongside us in our pity party and kind of affirm our feelings and all of that. Like, we enjoy that. Let's be honest. But man, so often we get stuck there. Or, or we begin to believe that the Christian faith, the church, the way of Jesus is kind of this way of like aestheticism, asceticism, which is where we're basically is going, I should not have any good feelings. I should not have any pleasure in this life. I, I should not feel happy. I should just be very pious, very serious. Right? This is where we say things like, if you went and visited the queen, would you wear jeans? What are you doing before the Holy of Holies? Right? This is where we get these very serious people in church. Hey, Randy, take off that hat. Right? Like, everything's very, very somber, very pious. Do not laugh in church. Don't you dare laugh in church. Because this is serious. This is eternity on the line. And all of that is true. Except the hat and the jeans and just eternity on the line. And I have no idea where this comes from. Because when we look at the scriptures, we see beautiful moments of levity, of laughter. We see Jesus at a party turning water into wine. Come on. And, and that, by the way, that was wine, wine. None of this, oh, that was really good grape juice. Shut up. <laughs> Never gone to a Jewish wedding in your life where they're serving grape juice. And I think sometimes the church is missing the joy. Because we're not practicing the joy. You ask the worship team to come. But we're just not practicing the joy. We're not walking in the actions of joy. And so often what we're doing, like so many things in life, we're waiting for the feeling. Right? We're waiting for the motivation. It's like me. I'm in a new year. I haven't been to the gym once. Because I'm waiting to feel like it. 
And how many know I'm going to be waiting a long time for that feeling? A long, long time. We've got to walk in the actions of joy sometimes before we're going to feel, before we're going to feel the joy. The actions of rejoicing. The actions of pursuing God. The actions of declaring his promises. The actions of stepping back into an eternal perspective that shows us that by comparison, what we're going through is nothing compared to the life and the light to come. So Holy Spirit, we recognize you as the giver of joy. We understand that joy is a grace, and so Lord, we ask to receive that gift of joy today. Lord, we choose to rejoice in the Lord. We choose to lift up our voices, to speak of your goodness and your love and your proximity to us through the Spirit. Lord, we want to be reverent. We want to be faithful to your way and to your will. But Lord, we know that we also can have a good time doing it. We can have a good time with your people, with your church. We can walk out this life in moments of levity that strengthen us and build us up. So Holy Spirit, today we just, we just choose joy. As an act of faith, we choose joy. We, we trade in our lamentation for joy. And we believe you walk us through even the seasons of pain, unlocking the potential of that pain by redeeming it in ways that only you can In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we choose joy.